Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is no secret that we live in a world where people struggle to live together well. Our fallen world is full of strained and broken relationships. Wars, conflicts, and tension are all around us. What a relief and a blessing it is in such a world when we may live together in love and in harmony and in peace. But it's not always that easy, is it? I'm sure in all of our homes and families, there have been wars and conflicts and tension. It's not always easy to live together in love and in harmony and peace at home, in our marriages, with our family, or in the church. It can be hard. It can be hard even between fellow Christians. There can be tension in our relationships with each other. Sometimes even between Christians who once got along really well, who maybe served together in some way. Disagreements and conflicts can spring up. They can arise over all kinds of things, big and small. And, and so easily that leads to either all-out fighting on the one hand or, or perhaps just gradually drifting Apart, Instead of living together in love and in harmony and peace, we live at odds with each other. Instead of overlooking each other's faults, we hold grudges against each other. We avoid each other as much as possible. Instead of humbly and lovingly and biblically addressing sins and issues in someone's life that should be addressed, we can so easily remain silent and then go and find ways and means to punish them, to make them pay for their crimes. Instead of humbly receiving rebuke and admonition, we so easily complain and criticize and respond by pointing out the faults of others. We don't always live together in genuine love and harmony as Christians in our marriages, in our families, and in the church. That's just reality. And that's the issue our text this morning, Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, addresses. I want to read those verses again for a moment. Paul writes here, in Philippians 4, verse 2, under the inspiration of the Spirit, I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with thee in the gospel with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. What is Paul addressing in these verses? He's addressing a specific conflict between two members of the church in Philippi, Iodias and Syntyche. Back in the beginning of chapter 2, Paul had made a general appeal for unity in the church. But, but now here he addresses a particular conflict, a, a known division or, or tension that existed between these two women. And we don't know what the conflict was about. All we know is that these two women, according to verse 3, once labored together with Paul in the gospel. They had been partners. They had worked together to help Paul in some way as he preached the gospel, maybe by supporting him financially, maybe by hosting him in, 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 in their houses like, like Lydia did when he first went to Philippi, or, or some other way. We're not told exactly how, but, but Paul's appeal to them by name 
indicates that at some point, a rift, a division had come between them and had become widely known. And it was even affecting the rest of the church so that maybe people were even starting to take sides. Now, it could be, it could be that there are tensions, there are strained or perhaps even broken relationships here among us right now. Maybe there's a conflict or tension between you and another Christian. It could be your spouse. It could be another family member. Or it could be another church member. It could be a recent conflict. Maybe as recent as at home this morning or in the car even on the way to church. Or, or maybe it's a conflict that's been festering for weeks or months or even years. But it, it could also be that you are not in a situation like that at the moment. It could be you have no real problems with anybody. But either way, whatever our situation may be right now, this text contains plenty of important practical instruction for all of us. It teaches us all how to live, how we are to live together as Christians. Whether or not there is tension in our relationships at the moment. And so with God's help, we want to consider our text under the theme living to better as Christians. And we'll see, first of all, the responsibility we have. Secondly, the bond we share. And thirdly, the grace we've received. First of all, then, the responsibility we have. Verse 2 makes that responsibility very clear, doesn't it? Paul says, I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind. That is our calling as Christians. That's how we are to live together. Our responsibility is to be of the same mind. But what does that mean? Well, maybe you remember from when we look back or we looked at the beginning of Philippians 2 because Paul says the same thing there. In, in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. To be like-minded, to be of the same mind, means literally to set our minds on the same thing. It means to have a shared mindset a shared focus. It doesn't mean that we necessarily agree on or have the same opinion about absolutely everything, but it means that as Christians, we live in harmony with one another, not fighting or quarreling. That's our calling. In living together as Christians, the responsibility we have is to live in harmony, in peace, in love with each other. And our text makes two things clear about that responsibility. First of all, it's a mutual responsibility. It's not just one person's job. It's everyone's job. Paul doesn't just beseech Iodias. And he doesn't just beseech Syntyche. He beseeches both of them. I beseech Iodias. It's as if he calls Iodias uh, to himself and, and, and implores her. And then he, he calls Syntyche I beseech Syntyche, and he implores her, and so he implores each of them, he pleads with each of them to work together, to live in harmony with each other and love. They each have that responsibility. It's mutual. And that's important for us to recognize, isn't it? Because I'm sure if you've ever had a conflict or a disagreement or an argument, I'm sure you know how easy it is when there is conflict, when there is tension, when there's a quarrel between us and someone else, it's very easy to put most or even all of the blame on someone else, on the other person. 
That's what we naturally want to do. We want to absolve ourselves of all responsibility. We want to justify ourselves. It's not my problem. It's hers. It's his. They are the ones who have to change, not me. What do we do? We dig in and we refuse to budge. That sound familiar? Of course, when the issue is the gospel or worldliness and sin, we should dig in. Paul dug in over those very issues in chapter 3. He refused to budge an inch under the pressure of those who were infiltrating the church and teaching that you needed something besides Christ to be fully saved. And, and on the other hand, he refused to budge an inch under the pressure of those in the church who lived worldly and sinful lives. Paul dug in over those matters. He refused to live in harmony with such people. In fact, he refused to regard them as Christian, genuine Christians at all. He used a strong language. He calls the one group dogs. And the other group he calls enemies of the cross of Christ. It was those people who needed to change, not him. He stood fast in the Lord. And he urges us to do the same. We saw that last week in, in verse 1 of our chapter. He urges us to stand fast in the Lord. That means we should never compromise the truth of the gospel. And we should never tolerate worldliness and soft peddling on sin in the church. We should address those issues in love and compassion, yes, even, even with weeping as Paul did, but we should never compromise the Bible's teaching about such matters. And we need to be clear on that, especially because of the increasing pressure in our day to soften our stance on certain things, such as gender and sexuality. We must stand firm. But, but when those things are not the issue, when it comes to living together as Christians, it's a different matter. Then the call is not to turn our back and dig in our heels and, and, and cross our arms and refuse to budge. No, the call is to be of the same mind. It's to work and to live in harmony and love with each other. That's the responsibility we have. And it's a mutual responsibility. It's not just the responsibility of the other person. It's your responsibility. Is that what we're doing? Is that what you're doing? With your spouse? With your family? With your fellow church members? With the person you're thinking about right now and hoping they're listening? Or is there a Christian brother or sister perhaps even sitting here this morning, that you're not talking to, that you're avoiding, that you're quarreling with, or holding a grudge against, or somehow silently punishing for some real or perceived wrong that they did. Also, won't you listen? Won't you listen to the Lord's tender, loving, earnest appeal through Paul to you in the text? I beseech you. I beg you. I implore. I plead with you that you be of the same mind. Live with each other in harmony and love. But what does that look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is a good place to start, isn't it? 
That's the chapter about love that we read earlier. We often think of that passage when we think of 1 Corinthians 13. We often think of that as in reference to marriage. And of course, it, it includes that. But it's, it's really about relationships between Christians and the church. And it shows us what living with each other in harmony and love looks like. It looks like suffering long, being patient with each other. It looks like showing kindness and mercy toward each other. It looks like not envying each other or showing off or being proud, but humbly esteeming each other better than ourselves. It looks like not behaving unseemly or, or rudely toward each other, but, but treating each other, showing honor to each other, treating each other in a way that's worthy of our calling. It looks like not seeking our own. It looks like thinking no evil, that is, not keeping a record of wrongs, and so on. You know, it's a good a good and humbling and convicting exercise. I recommend even doing it today. Just to take 1 Corinthians 13 on your own and see if you can honestly replace the word love or charity with your own name. Try it. But, but what about when a fellow Christian does something you think is wrong? What does living in harmony and love look like then? Well, it's, we could begin by thinking about what it does not look like. It does not look like holding the wrong over their head and being unwilling to forgive. It does not look like gossiping about or slandering them. It does not look like avoiding them or, or refusing to talk to them. It does not look like cutting off our ties with them. It does not look like refusing to humbly and lovingly confront them and and then going on to shame them and humiliate them in front of other people in some way. But what should we do then? Well, sometimes we should simply overlook it. Perhaps most of the time. We should overlook it and forget it and let it go. Because isn't that part of showing patience and kindness and humility? Don't forget that we all stumble in many things. But there are times where something can't be overlooked or passed over. What are you to do then? Should you immediately judge and condemn that person? Should you go on to shame and humiliate them? No. We'll look at this a bit more in a few weeks, Lord willing, with, when we get to church discipline, as we go, come to go through the catechism. But, but the Bible is clear that our calling as, as Christians, when we have something against another person. When they have sinned and caused an offense and needs to be dealt with, our calling is to humbly and gently and lovingly seek his or her restoration and reconciliation. And if you know that a fellow Christian has something against you, if you're on the other side and you know some, someone has something against you, then you should also seek reconciliation. You should seek to clear it up, not sometime in the future, but today. Christ's words in Matthew 5, verse 23, makes that clear. He says there, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remember that thy brother has aught or anything against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. We're to live in harmony. It's our responsibility. It's a mutual responsibility. 
Maybe you're thinking, yeah, right, you have no idea how hard. You have no idea how hard, how challenging, difficult this is. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe I don't. But the Lord does. You see, our text recognizes that this responsibility we have to be of the same mind is not just a mutual responsibility. It's a challenging responsibility. It's not easy. And Paul recognizes that. That's why in verse 3, he asks someone to help these women. He says there, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. So Paul, on behalf of Yorius and Syntyche, he asks for help from someone that he refers to as a, as a true yoke fellow. We, we don't know who he's talking about. All we know is that it was someone in the Philippian church, it may have been an office bearer, or it may have been someone else. But the point is that Paul considered him a faithful partner in the work of advancing the gospel. He had pulled together, uh, he was pulling together with Paul, uh, as it were, as a, as a, a, like a pair of oxen pull a plow together. And Paul asked him to help these two women, to come alongside them, to help them resolve their differences. He knew, you see, that living together in harmony and love isn't always easy. Can't help but wonder if his mind went back to that quarrel between him and Barnabas years earlier over whether or not to take John Mark along on their second missionary journey. That quarrel was sharp, wasn't it? It had caused him to part ways for, for a time. He, he knows how challenging it is and realizes that sometimes we need other faithful fellow Christians to help us in our relationships with others. But what would that look like? What would that kind of help look like? Well, our text gives us a strong hint. The answer to the difficulty and challenge of living in harmony and love with each other is the bond we share. That's our second point. The bond we share. You see, Paul doesn't just plead for harmony and love and peace. Look at verse 2 again. I beseech Yodius, Paul says, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And then in verse 3, he, he mentions that these women, they labored with me in the gospel. You see what Paul's doing? He's, he's highlighting not only the responsibility that we have to live in harmony and in love and in peace, but also the bond we share that helps us to fulfill that responsibility. <clears throat> and that bond is made up of of two basic elements, the Lord and the gospel. When we are Christians, we all have the same Lord. That's the first thing we need to remember. Judas and Syntyche, Judas and Syntyche both had the same Lord. That's why Paul says to them, be of the same mind in the Lord. And who is he? Who is the Lord that they and we all have as Christians? It's Jesus Christ. That's part of the bond we share. Scripture emphasizes that over and over again when there are relationship struggles. You can think of 1 Corinthians 12, the chapter right before the one we read earlier. The Corinthians 2 were struggling with divisions, much more so even than in, in Philippi. And, and one of the things that was a source of division was spiritual gifts. Some of them were boasting about their gifts. And how does Paul address that? He reminds them in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 4, he says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, or you could say different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same 
God who works all in all. You see what Paul's doing? He's reminding them that all their gifts, they come from the same one Lord, the one Lord, the triune God. He's reminding them and us that as Christians, whatever our differences, our disagreements, we not only all have the same spirit and the same God, we all have the same Lord as Christians. And we are Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. And that means when we have the same Lord, that our calling is simply to serve Him and submit to Him. That's what it means to have Jesus as our Lord. It means that we're to live and to work for Him. And you see, when you understand that, when you remember that, that should help us to live and to work in harmony together. You see, one of the things that creates division and friction is when everybody is trying to give orders and nobody's taking them. Maybe, maybe you've had to work on a job like that before. You had to work on a job where too many people were acting as if they were in charge and, and they're telling you different things. And, and, and so you don't know what to do and, and you start arguing with each other and some people listen to this one and other people listen to that one and having too many people in charge creates division. But when there's one person, a capable person in charge who gives the orders, that creates unity. That helps everybody to work and to live in harmony together because they all take their orders from him. They're not giving orders to each other. And here's the point. As Christians, there's only one person in charge, ultimately. Jesus Christ. We all have him and him alone as our Lord. We need to remember that. We need to remember that we all have Christ as our Lord and therefore that we all are to be taking our orders from him. That's what will help us to work and to live in harmony together. That's what will help us to resolve our disagreements because then you see the question won't be, it won't be, well, what I want. It won't be about what I want versus what you want. It won't be about what I like versus what you like. It won't be about what, what, what I think should happen versus what you think should happen. It, it'll be what does the Lord say? What does the Lord want? What does He tell us in His Word? Part of the bond we share is the Lord. But her text mentions another part, another element, and that's the gospel. Yodius and Syntica not only both had the same Lord, they both had and believed the same gospel. They labored, they once labored with Paul, they strove together with him, literally, in the service of the gospel. Along with some others, one named Clement, whom we don't know anything else about, and, and other of Paul's fellow laborers. The gospel message, the message of salvation by grace alone, through Christ, through faith alone, in Christ alone, had gripped Yodius and Syntica and the others and had bound them together. Paul reminds them of that. He reminds them of the gospel bond they had shared. And it's a bond all Christians share. All true Christians have and believe the same gospel, the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what makes us Christians. It's faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the good news that the eternal only begotten Son of God who was robed in majesty and in glory, He came down into the world being sent by the Father to save lost and dead and hell-worthy sinners. 
And that to do that, he not only came into the world, but he even humbled himself to death. Even the death of the cross. He willingly bore the curse of God in their place. And the gospel, that's the gospel. And, and, and the gospel is that everyone who humbles himself and turns from sin and believes in him, trusts in him, shall be saved. That is the gospel. And Christians, true Christians, are those who believe that, who believe the gospel, who turn from sin, who forsake it and from themselves, and they put their trust in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the, the bond that Christians share. And you see, when that is the case, and we remember that, then that should help us to live together in harmony, in love, in our marriages, in our homes, in our church. Because when you believe the gospel, what are you saying? You're saying that you have nothing to boast of before God. You're saying that you're a helpless, needy sinner. You're saying that Jesus Christ alone and Him crucified is your salvation. There's nothing more humbling than that. His death on the cross is the only thing that can save you. And there's no reason for pride. There's no reason to set yourself up above somebody else or that you're better than them. There's only reason for deep humility. The gospel we share, congregation, you see, puts us all on the same level. And not only that, it calls us all to imitate Christ, to be conformed to his image. And that means, as we've seen in Philippians earlier, that means not living to please ourselves, but denying ourselves and humbling ourselves in love and service to one another, in faithfulness to the Word of God. Because that's what Christ did for us. You see that? The Lord and the Gospel, these are the two parts of the bond that we share when we are Christians. You can think of this bond, dear congregation, your children too, like, like a sort of glue. Maybe children, you've, you've, you've built crafts like models or or airplanes and something like that. And what do you normally need to need to, to do that? You need glue, don't you? You need glue to hold all the, the parts of, of the model of the airplane together. And that's a little bit like what the Lord and the gospel here are here in our text. They are the glue that holds believers together. That's what enables us to live in harmony and love with each other. That's what we need to focus on in our relationships together. Also, when we struggle. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe there's a strained or a broken relationship between you and another believer. Could it be that the reason it's strained or broken is that your focus is on something else? Could it be that your focus is more on yourself than on the Lord and on His gospel? It's only when all of us congregation are focused on Christ, the Lord, who is our peace, and we're focused on the gospel, the gospel of peace, that we can live in true harmony and peace. The Lord and the gospel. That's what we must focus on. And we must do that at all times, even if the one that we are struggling with doesn't. And that can happen. That can happen. And when that happens, we have to leave it in God's hands. But it does not absolve us of the calling that we have to focus on the Lord and on the gospel. 
to seek as much as is in, as is in us as possible to live peaceably with all men, especially with our fellow Christians. The Lord and the gospel is what we need to focus on, and it's what we need to point to when we are called upon to help other Christians who are struggling in their relationships, like Paul called on this yoke fellow of his. We need to point to the Lord and the gospel that we share. It's the glue that binds us together. The why. Why do we have this bond, this glue, in the first place? Well, it's all because of grace. And that's what we hope to see now in our third point, the grace that we receive. Look, how, look at how Paul ends his plea for Yorias and Sintica to be of the same mind, to live and work together in harmony and peace and love. You see it at the end of verse 3. He says here about his fellow workers, including Clement and Yodias and Syntyche, he says their names are in the book of life. What a statement that is. The book of life in Scripture is the book that contains the names of those who have received the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus. And having our names in that book highlights the reason for the bond that Christians share. It's the grace of God. You see, that's the only way our names can be written in the book of life. It's by the free and the sovereign grace of, of God. By nature, we're not alive and we don't have any right to life. By nature, we are dead in sins and trespasses. We cannot make our own names to be written in that book. We are unable. It's God's book. And in Revelation 17 verse 8, we learn that that book, the book of life, is a book that's been written from the foundation of the world. When our names are in that book, and they are if we are true Christians, those who are truly turning from sin and trusting in Jesus, it's only because of God's sovereign grace. I love how one commentator, Dennis Johnson, puts it. He says, and I quote, the source of our enrollment, our election, or our, our names being in that book is the unfathomable love of the Father. Its basis is the blood of the Lamb shed for our forgiveness and cleansing. And it's the life-giving presence of God's Spirit that powerfully implements God's electing grace in our lives. Do you understand what he's saying? He, he's really just saying the reason anyone's name is in the book of life is the free and the sovereign grace of the triune God. And isn't that another reason to live together in harmony as Christians? I mean, what then do we have to boast about in front of others? Nothing. Do you see what a practical impact the doctrine of sovereign grace, the doctrine of unconditional election takes? This isn't a dry doctrine. It impacts even our relationships with each other. When our names are in the book of life, they are there because of grace. It's sovereign grace. And it's a glorious, a gloriously rewarding grace. You see, when our names are in the book of life, that means that we will together one day enjoy everlasting glory and life with God in the new creation. That's true of all whose names are in the book of life. And not one of them will be missing. God knows all those who are his, and he will not forget or forsake a single one of them. He will bring every one of them home to be with him. Why? 
because he loves them. And why does he love them? I don't know. But because he's doing that, because that, of that reward, then shouldn't we, shouldn't we, even in the midst of all the weaknesses and imperfections that we see in each other, the annoyances, the, great, the things that grate on each other, shouldn't we love each other too? Shouldn't we, who, who are part of the body and, and bride of Christ, and who will be part of that, that glorious multitude in heaven who will sing with one voice to the Lord in praise to Him, shouldn't we seek to live in harmony and love and peace with each other in the Lord? If we have received such undeserved love and grace from the Lord, and we will one day be in glory together, shouldn't we show that same love and grace to each other? Didn't Jesus say, by this, men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Congregation, this morning, God has come to us through his spirit-inspired servant Paul, and he has beseeched us, to include myself, he has pleaded with us to be of the same mind in the Lord, to live together as Christians in love and in harmony and in peace. That's the responsibility we have when we are Christians. And the way to do that, the way to do that is to focus on the bond we share, the Lord and the gospel, and to remember the grace that we receive. Well, let us seek by grace in the strength of the Lord to heed this call. But if you are here and you are not yet a Christian, you have not yet repented and believed the gospel. And the first thing you need is not reconciliation with other people. You need reconciliation with God. And the beautiful thing is that in the scriptures, we not only hear pleased to be God's people to, to be reconciled to each other, but we also hear please, please, from God to be reconciled to Him. And how does that happen? It happens only by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Trusting Him. Trusting Him. Oh, then look to Christ and trust in Him. And then you will be clothed with His righteousness and you will have, that's the promise of the gospel, you will have peace with God, and then one day you will, you will be with all of God's people. All those whose names are in the book of life, and, and we know from the book of Revelation that they are going to be from every tribe and tongue and nation. All these differences, outward differences are going to be together in glory, and we will be with the Lord. We will live, and we will live then in perfect harmony and love and peace with Him and with each other. Let us live in light of that day. Amen. Lord God, we give thanks that your word comes so low 
deals with such real struggles that we can have and teaches us and instructs us in the way we should go. Give us the grace, O Lord, to follow in your footsteps, to live in humble self-denial for one another, not compromising the gospel, not being soft on sin, but loving each other well, living together in harmony and love. We read of the church in, in Acts, O Lord, how they were of one heart and one soul. And we pray, Lord, that we might know that in our congregation, in our relationships. Help us, O Lord, to seek to focus on the Lord and on the gospel and to remember the grace that we received. We ask this, O Lord, in the pardon of all of our sins and asking you, O Lord, to also reconcile more sinners to yourself by your Holy Spirit, drawing them to know the peace that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.